Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. This is uh, Paul Axton, and in this series of talks, I want to discuss Mercea Eliade, Peter Berger, and a little bit of Ludwig Feuerbach. But the main idea here is to contrast Eliade and the uh, ideas of Peter Berger, and actually to get beyond both of them to what I think is a basic question concerning truth and concerning what is religion, and ultimately an understanding of how we understand what Christianity is and how Christian truth then intersects with other understandings of religion. Let me uh, begin with three quotes, and the first one then gets at Peter Berger and will stand in contrast to Feuerbach and Eliade. It is through externalization, Berger says, that society is a human product. It is through objectivation that society becomes a reality sui generis. It is through internalization that man is a product of society. What Berger is picturing then is that truth or religion fits into, uh, you know, religion in this. He, he's not specifically talking, but he will talk about religion as a sacred canopy. But the idea is that truth then is largely a social construct or at least human apprehension of the truth. Peter Berger was himself a Christian, but the question is, did his Christianity then and his sociology fit together? And we'll come to that here in a minute. The second quote then is from Ludwig Feuerbach, which uh, we might be too quick to dismiss. Theology is anthropology. In other words, the object of religion, which in Greek we call theos and in our language God, expresses nothing other than the essence of man. Man's God is nothing other than the deified essence of man, so that the history of religion, or what amounts to the same thing, of God, for the gods are as varied as the religions, and the religions are as varied as mankind, is nothing other than the history of man. The point here of Feuerbach that will be taken up by others, especially Freud, and Freud, of course, uh, unlike Feuerbach, is not going to assign primary importance to religion as the illness of man, nor will he, as uh, Karl Marx will talk about religion as the opiate of the people. Feuerbach sees religion, in fact, as a kind of key problem, and, of course, what he's saying is that uh, religion is, is purely a human invention. Feuerbach's picture may, in fact, not look too different from Peter Berger's. We'll distinguish it here slightly. But the thing that, that I want to notice about Feuerbach is that, of course, this does uh, account, I think, for, even in Scripture, a kind of idolatrous religion. That is, there is a religion that we need to distinguish and set apart from uh, what we would claim as a, a Christian as a, as a revealed religion. And I think this is an important point to make as we come to the third quote from Mercia Eliade. Although the historical conditions are extremely important in a religious phenomenon, notice he says he mentions historical conditions, but he's going to quickly dismiss them, for every human datum is in the last analysis a historical datum. 
They do not wholly exhaust it. All these dreams, myths, and nostalgias cannot be exhausted by a psychological explanation. There is always a kernel that remains refractory to explanation, and this indefinable, irreducible element perhaps reveals the situation of man in the cosmos, a situation that we shall never tire of repeating is not solely historical. And so what Eliade is describing is that religion has a sui generis element to it that is in fact irreducible. Again, another quote here. This is from Peter Berger. This is from the Sacred Canopy. Whatever may be the ultimate merits of religious explanations of the universe at large, their empirical tendency has been to falsify man's consciousness of that part of the universe shaped by his own activity, namely the socio-cultural world. This falsification can also be described as mystification. The socio-cultural world, which is an edifice of human meanings, is overlaid with mysteries posited as non-human in their origins. The intersection then between Eliade and Berger is Berger is saying, yes, there is this sui generis element to religion, but of course, Berger's point is the creation of this sui generis element is a kind of falsification, a covering over of the socio-cultural nature of religion. Now, in all of this, of course, we're raising the question as to how religion, first of all, in, in the Bible, and how biblical religion would fit into this. So basically we have three views of religion and maybe four if we add on then a biblical understanding. So for Eliade, religion is sui generis. That is that certain portions of human culture and experience are somehow distinct from historical pressures and influences. The primary vehicle for articulating this assumption is the claim that religious experiences are sui generis, that is, they are their own cause and belong to their own unique category. And so I'm quoting here, this is Roger Schmidt and Exploring Religion. Religion is defined as a human seeking and responding to what is experienced as holy. It is a set of beliefs, practices, and social structures grounded in a people's experience of what they regard as ultimately real and that accommodate their emotional, intellectual, and social needs. And so this idea here is that you know, how you begin the study of religion is actually going to determine even what the object of your study is. If religion is primarily a sociological and historical construct, then that's where you're going to focus. If religion is sui generis, then in some sense, the object of religion is always one that you're approaching but never attain. The theoretical stance predetermines that the religious perspective in Eliade is essentially free of social, economic, and political interference. And Eliade is often pictured as the father of modern religious studies, it's Eliade who is really responsible for the mode of studying religion and that there is that there are departments of religion because it's only under this definition that we couldn't encapsulate religion as a product of the social construct or a historical construct. 
And so religion would just be studied in those departments. And so the values one holds are grounded in the inherent structure of reality. And whatever this inherent structure might be, it certainly does not appear to be derived from historical factors. And so the assumption of Eliade and his students and the assumption of this method to suggest that you, know, you can study the historical and the empirical manifestations of the religion, but they're really only necessary in that the historically conditioned religious manifestations are uh, you understand from the beginning they are inherently limited and they are the only means available for studying. In other words, what you're actually attempting to arrive at and cannot get there, of course, is in some way a, an experience of the numinous, an ahistorical essence, the you know thing that uh, you can describe but never really fully reduced to description. And so the undefended presumption of the unique status of the object necessitates developing and using a kind of unique interpretive method. And of course, in religious studies, the whole issue then and discussions revolve around hermeneutics. But the interpretive methods themselves serve to sanction, that is, they themselves are generated by the notion that religion is sui generis in the first place. And so this is kind of the strange situation you have in religion departments in several major universities have in fact closed their departments, religion departments, because when asked what it is they're studying under this understanding, it is clear that the object of study is not ultimately presentable, but nonetheless is thought to be true as a kind of transcendent reality. And there's a minimalization of the discourse, obviously, in a sui generis notion of religion, which reconstitutes the representation of what a human being is. They are not a social, economic, or political being, but they're primarily religious beings, and their basic material needs and relations are not crucial, but basically they're, and most essentially, they are believers in creeds. And so the religion is abstracted from economics and politics. And of course, very often the point here is that very often that this is the way that even Christianity, which is very much a historical religion, the whole idea is not that there isn't a transcendent element to the religion, but the whole point is that God has revealed himself historically in Christ and this revelation was a necessity because of the nature of who God is and who man is. That is, that we do not have access, it seems, to escaping economics, politics, the social construction of reality. And the picture of religion, I think there is a kind of falsified picture of Hinduism, Buddhism, Shintoism, or biblical idolatry to imagine that any of these float free of economics and politics. It just does not speak to the reality of these religions on the ground. In fact, though they themselves may, may think of the religion as some way separated down, often they don't. Often it's very much integrated into the social construct of, of things. But as Peter Berger will picture it, the religion, though, very often just functions as a sacred canopy to hold those things together. In Peter Berger's view, religion is world construction. Every human society, he says, 
is an enterprise of world building. He says religion occupies a distinctive place in this enterprise, but of course it is simply part of the world construction. And this is opposed to the sui generis notion of religion, as religion as the key to world construction ties religion into every aspect of human society. And so if you had to pit two views of religion against one another, one would be Peter Berger and the other would be Eliade, neither of which, I think, arrives at a definitive understanding. The way that Berger puts it is that society is a dialectical phenomenon in that it is a human product and nothing but a human product. A little sound of Feuerbach here. That yet continuously acts back upon its producer. Society is a product of man. It has no other being except that which is bestowed upon it by human activity and consciousness. And so think here of the idol maker, you know, in Isaiah who fashions a god out of a piece of wood. He in fact saws the wood in two and then with one half he shapes the idol and with the other half he starts a little fire and cooks him some lunch and after he shaped the idol and then he eats his lunch and he turns and he looks at the idol and says, oh there's there's God. That is the picture is that he externalizes it. That is there is this creation of a product he turns to it, he objectifies it, that is, it becomes something separate, an entity unto itself, and then he worships it, he internalizes it. And so externalization is the ongoing outpouring of human being into the world, Berger says, both in the physical and the mental activity of men. Human being cannot be understood as somehow resting within itself in some closed sphere of interiority and then setting out to express itself in the surrounding world. So this would be, you know, this actually fits very nicely into a Wittgensteinian understanding of the way that language works. It stands over and against an Augustinian picture of a private language. Maybe it stands over and against Eliot's notion there is a some sort of private or interior sphere of experience. Objectivation is the attainment by the products of this activity, both physical and mental of a reality that confronts its original producers as a facticity external to and other than themselves. So the example of the idol, but you could take everyday examples that money is a human product that is in some way objectified. We all know that it doesn't have an intrinsic value and yet we treat it as if it actually does. And so human products take on a life of their own and they act back on their producers. That's just sort of the way even the term, the notion of society as some sort of external thing that's out there that acts back upon us. But of course, it's, it, that itself is a kind of projection. And then internalization is the reappropriation by men of the same reality, transforming it once again from structures of the objective world into structures of the subjective consciousness. And Berger then, interestingly, accounts for religion in this process. He's going to say the sacred or numinous 
began as perceptions externalized, projected onto the skies. You know, the sky gods or, you know, sun god are often recognized. And upon persons and natural objects, such as shamans and uh, sacred groves, and the externalized sacred objects thereby acquire a status as factors in social life and magic, incantation, and worship. And so Berger, interestingly, accounts for a sui generis notion of religion as part of the social construction of religion, or of, of, of social construction of reality. He says man must forever be creating a social order as man is not guided by instinct. To be oneself, one must occupy a place in the social order and to do so, there must be such an order. So human beings continually project, objectify, and internalize the order they humanly require. And of course, in this, the world may totter that the, the social construct of reality may come undone. And this is what Berger says. Well, the sacred canopy protects, it orders human existence and religion functions as the complete disconnect from externalization and objectivation. That is, what the religion does is cover over the sense that we are doing it. We just don't know that we're doing it. This sounds a lot like Freud's you know, or Zizek's picture of enjoy your symptom, that you're doing it. You know, the love of money is an example. You're doing it in a sense... You know, if you stop and think what you're doing with money, that you're objectifying it. There's the sense, though, that you're, you're doing it, but even while you're doing it, you don't, you don't apprehend it. And so in contrast to sui generis notions of religion, religion as a social construct plugs religion into everything else humans do. And it allows for evolution. You know, this is part of the picture here, is that in... Iliada's point that, that religion might be dynamic in its manifestations, but it's static in the sui generis element of it. And so in Berger's picture, obviously there's, there's change in society, and so there will be change in religion. And so two ways of studying religion, that this will come out, that in some views... There seems like there is no evolution in the religion, but and this is, I think, kind of a falsified picture in and of itself. Now, the obvious problems with Berger is that in this socio-historical relativity, there is no standpoint from which to make statements about religious matters, or in fact, to make cognitively valid statements about sociological matters. How, you know, if everything's a social construct, then what about Berger and what Berger says about religion? While I would tend to agree with Berger's picture, it is not problem-free. In religion, from a biblical perspective, I think that there is then a possibility of taking these ideas into account. So that in sui generis notions of religion, where the actual object of study is never attained, and actual religions, in a sense, it, it's probably unfair to say they're not taken seriously, but the point of the you know, religious studies is in some way to imagine that there's a deep 
grammar that is shared, you know, much like Chomsky's picture of a universal grammar, that in some way the numinous or the holy is the thing that holds it together. In religion as a social construct, there is no clear place for sociology, and Berger is a, a Christian, there's no clear place for sociology and Christian theology to me. So, you know, is it sociology when one sees religion as world maintenance, but theology when one notes a major exception to this view of religion's human role, an exception in which God seems to persistently overturn most human religion. That is, how can you distinguish and how do you talk about Christianity? And of course, part of this is the history of Christianity, that we've sort of in a Constantinian fusion of society and religion that we've lost a place to speak. Well, this is Niebuhr's questions about Christ and culture is, you know, what's the relationship? And in all of his understandings, Christ against culture, of culture, above culture, and paradox with culture, transforming culture, there's really no place left for, I think, what is in fact the biblical picture that Christ and Christianity and the church are in fact to give us a place to stand, a cultural understanding to stand, but this will take a whole new understanding of what it means to be part of the church and what it means to to be saved, because how one gets saved will become a sociological matter. It will become a, a corporate identity. And so the sui generis reading of religion, I think, is not unrelated to sui generis notions of Christianity. That is, very often the church somehow exists, or Christians exist, or their faith exists, apart from society and culture. And what is in turn understood about culture is, I'm afraid, what Berger pictures, that is, Berger is saying that there is this sense that culture has its own innate objective essence. And of course, there, the danger is that we assign culture an essence that it does not have. I think the reality that we are to gain in the church is to understand that there is no innate essence. There is no foundation but Christ. But to understand the church's culture, and this is Rodney Clapp's picture, that the idea that the original Christians thought of themselves as a kind of continuation of the Jewish sensibility of being a socio-political, religious, cultural entity. And so they were determined to be a culture and a quite public and political culture. And that's why they were, in fact, persecuted. And many of them were martyred and their children were martyred. And so the logic of Christianity involves the claim that the interruption of history by Christ and his bride is the most fundamental of events in John Milbank's statement. And it's from this place, from this understanding given to us in the church in Christ that we can interpret or have a place to stand to interpret other events. And yet this interruption we must realize is itself historical. It is in the context of history. Christ comes to a particular society, a particular culture, and speaks the language of that culture. And so the, we can say several things here. This is James McClendon's point and witness. The gospel story does not simply cancel every other story. Rather, it affirms them. Where they are true, it corrects them. Where they are harmfully wrong, and it completes them by showing the relation between these stories and an inclusive story of all the earth.
And so every culture and religion contains its own point of failure, perhaps, its own point of contradiction. I always think here of Bruchko, Bruce Olson, who, when he goes to the natives in uh, South America, it was their own sense of the failure of their culture, their own, their own sense that the violence in their culture was unnatural, and their own prophecies in their stories and in their religion that one would come who would solve this problem. I think that there is a sense that every culture has its inherent failures, and the place that a biblical exposition, interpretation, hermeneutic fits, segues into culture, is perhaps through the exposition of this failure. The way in which the answer relates to the question, it will depend upon the culture and the religion. There is no deciding these things beforehand. The failure of any particular culture or religion is not one, by the way, that Christians are removed from. That is a quick picture of Iliade, Peter Berger, and the comparison of the two, and I hope then a way of resolving these two understandings. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.